Disappearing ice. The latest global climate report paints a grim picture. The loss of ice over the last 30 years from glaciers is equivalent to taking a 24-meter slice off the top of all the alpine glaciers in the world. 40 years on, we talked to a survivor of the Fastnet yacht disaster. I couldn't believe what I was looking at. It was dark, but the, the sea was white, absolutely white. And will this current spell of wet weather ever end? An area of low pressure moving in on Friday will bring wet and windy weather across the whole of the UK by the afternoon. The heaviest of the rainfall will be across western parts of England as well as Wales. It's Thursday the 15th of August and you're listening to Weathersnap from the Met Office. Hello, I'm Claire Nazir and you're listening to Weathersnap, an insider's guide to the week's weather brought to you direct from Met Office HQ. For the past 29 years, the Bureau of American Meteorology has collated and published an annual report on the global climate. This report is an analysis of weather observations gathered across the world that together form a picture of our changing climate. Earlier, I spoke to Graham Madge, senior climate press officer here at the Met Office, who talked about the report's latest findings. What this report shows is that the last four years globally have been the four warmest years on record. 2018 was the coolest of those four years, but nonetheless it was still a very warm year without the influence of El Nino to boost the temperatures like we saw in 2015 and 2016. Who contributes to this report? The report is written by the American Meteorological Society, but the Met Office has a close working relationship with the organisation, and in fact we have six members of staff that are involved with the report, with the uh, global uh, remit that we have here at the Met Office, we're very well placed to look at trends in global climate. Just to give you some examples, when you look at uh, the amount of ice that there is around the world, one of the themes covers glaciers. And when you look at glaciers, the report makes a very stark finding. It shows that the loss of ice over the last 30 years from glaciers is equivalent to taking a 24-metre slice off the top of all the alpine glaciers in the world, which is staggering. So there's two types of ice which seems to be on a trend to melt. That's the sea ice, but also the land ice. And they have different effects on sea level rise, don't they? So when you get land-covered ice melting into the sea, you do get some displacement, you get sea level rising, as opposed to sea ice, which just pretty much gets absorbed by the sea. Sea levels have risen, according to the report, by 81 millimetres since the levels recorded in 1993. And obviously that's not just something that's happening in far-flung places. We're actually seeing that around the UK coastline. And of course the UK, when you look at sea level rise, parts of the south coast, because the UK is still sinking after the Great Ice Age 10,000 years ago, we're actually seeing sea levels rising faster than that in parts of southern England. So we've seen that the global temperatures are rising and we are in the top four. However, there have been some local extremes recorded as well. It's important to remember with a report like this that although we're seeing more extremes of temperature related to heat, more 
hot temperatures, we're not immune from seeing cold extremes as well. So if we cast our mind back to spring of last year when we had the beast from the east, actually the UK saw its lowest recorded springtime daily maximum temperature. So the fact that we're seeing global temperatures rise doesn't mean that we're not seeing occasionally some cold weather extremes, but what it does mean is that the heat extremes the hot events are outnumbering the cold events in an ever greater way. So Graham, finally, tell me why this report is so important. For the last 29 years, it's provided an annual snapshot of the state of the planet. So we have a good body of evidence going back to the 1850s for temperature, but this is providing a synthesis of all those global indicators of climate change, bringing all that scientific evidence together, and it's pulled from all parts of the world, and that shows that the climate is warming. And when you look at that in the context of, say, climate projections, we know that this isn't going to be the peak. And the projections suggest that we are going to see ever-rising temperatures based, of course, largely on the fact that we've got more greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. And that trend is going to continue to increase. Forty years ago this week, the biennial fastnet yacht race ended in tragedy as a violent storm swept across the Atlantic. As the yachts set sail from the Isle of Wight, heading to the fastnet rock off the coast of Southern Ireland, competitors and forecasters had little idea that weather conditions would change so drastically. Rick Newman was a bowman aboard the racing yacht Marionette. Our story is about a boat called Marionette, which was a full-on racing machine. We had a crew of nine. We'd sailed at a fairly international level, and we'd sailed together for many years, and thought, well, this is just another fastnet race. It's easy. The fastnet race first began in 1925. Its reputation has grown over the decades, and today it is one of the world's most prestigious offshore sailing events. Fastnet is one of the sort of great blue water classics and you're always excited by it. Um, but we were excited about the idea of competition, not of survival. Traditionally, crews are briefed before the race. And on the 11th of August 1979, many were more concerned about the sluggish weather conditions. The weather brief that, that we had suggested it was going to start light and easy. Um, and later on, uh, Monday, Tuesday, the wind was going to pick up. Um, but we weren't expecting anything dramatic. The Fastnet course takes competitors from the Isle of Wight in the UK around Land's End to the Fastnet Rock, 13 kilometres off the coast of Ireland, and then back to Plymouth. We set sail from cows. We struggled around some of the big headlands, and we were really feeling it was a slow race uh, and then as we started off across the Irish Sea things seemed to start to pick up. Meanwhile a low pressure system was developing and tracking quickly across the Atlantic. It was far deeper and swifter than the weather brief initially issued to the crews prior to sailing. When it became apparent that life was about to get pretty tricky we were heading quite close to the fastnet rock under spinnaker, going flat out, 
uh, and the navigator came up from below decks and said, whoops, he said the barometer's just dropped dramatically in the last hour, two points, and he said, I think we're about to get a bit of a blow, were his words. Monday night into the early hours of Tuesday morning, the low intensified as it tracked towards the southwest of Ireland. Winds increased to storm force 10, and the race became more about survival. A massive gust came through and, and sent the main halyard spinning out of, out of somebody's hand and around the forestay. The only way we could um, get the boat sailing again was for, for me, because I'm a bowman, it's my job to go up the mast and try to unravel this um, halyard that was around the forestay. I couldn't believe what I was looking at. It was dark, but the, the sea was white, absolutely white. Recorded gusts peaked around 65 knots. That's over 70 miles an hour. And the wave heights were calculated to be in excess of 12 metres or 40 feet. These waves were just bloody enormous. And what would happen is we'd sail along and the wave would pick up the boat. You would, I exaggerate slightly, but you would plane down the down the face of the wave. The loads on the boat were huge and the waves were huge. There's no two ways about it. That sort of time, maybe it was about four in the morning, and we shot down a wave and as we reached the bottom, the boat suddenly spun out of control because we sheared the rudder clean off. Subsequently, Rick and his crew sent a distress call to the Irish lifeboat and luckily were rescued. Others were not so lucky. Out of the 303 yachts that took part, 24 yachts were abandoned, five were completely lost, and only 85 yachts made it back. 19 people lost their lives. The reality of what had happened to us came home about nine o'clock at night on the Tuesday. The Baltimore lifeboat had been out since the day before, and all of the um, village turned out to greet their heroes back, and they were heroes. And that's when we knew the full extent of how serious it was. Fastnet crew member Rick Newham. Later this month, the Mostly Weather podcast panel will discuss this event in greater detail. And obviously, we'll keep you posted here when that podcast is available. The first half of August has been blighted by rain and showers, as well as unseasonally strong winds. The land across large parts of the UK is saturated and river levels remain high. So when will this unsettled weather come to an end? Here's Aidan McGiven. There is an end in sight to the unsettled weather, but not until next week. More on that in a moment. For the time being, we do have plenty of weather to talk about. An area of low pressure moving in on Friday will bring wet and windy weather across the whole of the UK on Friday morning. By the afternoon, the heaviest of the rainfall will be across western parts of England as well as Wales. Yellow warning in force that rainfall could be disruptive in places. Scotland and Northern Ireland, meanwhile, after a wet start to the day, will see sunny spells and showers replace the persistent rainfall. And those blustery showers then become widespread for the weekend. The main weather front's clear for Saturday and Sunday, but low pressure remains anchored to the north of Scotland. And that means it's going to be a weekend of sunny spells, yes, 
but also frequent heavy downpours. These showers will be most frequent and heaviest towards the northwest of the country. And for western Scotland, winds pick up to gale force around exposed coasts by the end of Saturday. Of course, that wind will make it feel cool, but there will be some sunshine coming through in between the showers. And in eastern and southern areas, temperatures will manage to reach the low 20s. On Sunday, the wettest and windiest weather moves into northwest England, Northern Ireland and North Wales. But most other places will still see a continuation of the sunny spells and showers. Monday and Tuesday, showers will become a little less frequent and a little less heavier. And there'll be some sunshine coming through, increasingly so, as an area of high pressure begins to replace the low pressure. And that high pressure looks like becoming established through the middle part of next week. Now, it's not going to bring an instant heat wave by any means. It will still be relatively cool. There'll still be a lot of cloud around, but certainly with that high pressure around, the weather next week looks much less autumnal than it's been during the last few weeks. Thank you, Aidan. Finally, Martin Bolt is here with last week's highs and lows. Here are your weekly extremes from Monday the 5th of August to Sunday the 11th of August. The highest max occurred last week on Friday the 9th of August when Weybourne in Norfolk peaked at 27.6 Celsius. The coldest night was in Catesbridge in County Down with a minima during the early hours of Wednesday morning of 6.9 Celsius. It was a very wet week with reports of flooding across Scotland and Northern England. The highest daily rainfall was recorded on Saturday the 10th of August at Spade Adam in Cumbria where 71.4 millimetres of rain fell. And Aberdaran in Gwynedd clocked up 13.7 hours of sunshine on Monday the 5th of August. Thank you, Martin. That's it from Weathersnap. I'm Claire Nazir. Producer is Adrian Holloway. Join me again next week when we take a dive into the week's weather headlines. Weathersnap is a podcast by the UK Met Office.